United Lutheran Seminary presents the Seminary Explorers podcast, conversations on faith, art, people, politics, theology, life, and more, with voices from around the corner and around the globe. Welcome to the Seminary Explorers. My name is Nelson Strobert. We're recording from the adult discussion class at St. James Lutheran Church in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. My guest today is Kristen Rice, who was up to December 31st, the chief public defender in Adams County, Pennsylvania. After 20 years, she has retired from that position and is here to describe her career and what goes on in that office. So, welcome to the Seminary Explorers. Thank you very much, Nelson. I'm happy to be here. Good, good. Well, I want to begin by asking you, what is the public defender's office. I think many of us uh, think of the public defenders from what we've seen on television and on, on TV uh, and uh, in the movies, but what is the public defender's office? All right, I'm happy to describe the office because um, over the years I've been really astonished at how few people understand what the public defender's office does. A lot of people think we're prosecutors. A lot of people think that we didn't even need to go to college, that we're some sort of para-criminal defense um, workers. But at any rate, in Adams County, we have a public defender's office in the courthouse, and we have four attorneys and a paralegal and support staff. So we get about 1,000 new adult cases every year come in, which are allotted between the four attorneys. We also get about 150 juvenile cases every year, and we have one attorney who is dedicated to juvenile cases. And then we have the constant everyday grind of motions for people for some sort of relief. And the big thing that we are constantly attending to is revocations of parole or probation. And when I say that, I mean that when somebody is sentenced, in Pennsylvania, there is always a minimum and a maximum sentence. And you are eligible for parole at the minimum. Doesn't mean you'll get parole, but you're eligible for parole. From that period of time that you're released from prison until your sentence hits its maximum, you are under supervision. And if you violate that supervision, you are put back into jail and you have a revocation hearing. Now also, if you were sentenced to probation alone, they actually bring you back and can resentence you. So our office, well, it's no longer my office. If I keep calling it my <laughs> office, I'm, I apologize to the next public defender. But we handle about 50 revocations every month. So how are we funded? We're funded by the Adams County Commissioners. And the interesting thing is that Pennsylvania is the only state in the nation that relies entirely on county funding. 
If you go next door to Maryland, you'll find, like most states, they have a centralized public defender system that's state-funded. So every single county in Pennsylvania, although very small counties might share a public defender, um, has their own public defender. Now, there's a Public Defender Act in Pennsylvania legislation that delineates our duties and who we must represent. So first of all, we, the public defender, gets to set the eligibility requirements. Now, meeting with other public defenders, knowing other counties, I would say the financial eligibility requirements to get a public defender ranges from 100% of the federal poverty level, um, which are statistics or like data released every year by the federal government, to 200% of the federal poverty level. I have chosen, had chosen to be at 150% of the federal poverty level. Now, that's still pretty poor. So if you make roughly over $400 a week or $450 a week, if you have no dependents, you will not qualify for a public defender. So it leaves so many people um, still without resources to hire attorneys and what people end up doing generally if they don't qualify for a public defender is they turn to their families for help or they put it on credit cards, etc. Now we also represent everybody who's incarcerated regardless of whether they have any financial resources. We don't look to the financial resources of people who are incarcerated. So therefore, if people are picked up over the weekend, Monday morning, we get a lot of applications emailed to us. So we use a unitary system in Adams County of representation, which we're able to do because it's a small county and, and we're a small office. So we represent everybody from their first um, court appearance, which is their preliminary hearing in front of a magistrate, all the way through appeal. And one case I took from preliminary hearing all the way to the United States Supreme Court because um, it was a death penalty case. But I had to be admitted into the U.S. Supreme Court in order to do that. So... Give me another prod here. <laughs> well, uh, you describe you know the office, et cetera, but you began your career in private practice. Is that not? I did. Um, my husband and I met at Dickinson Law School. We were engaged within nine days of our first date, and that was thirty-eight years ago, and three sons. <laughs> As my mother said, you know, when you know, you know. And it's really true. So John and I moved to Erie, Pennsylvania, where he's from, and he worked for a big firm there, and I worked for a bank. 
And I was homesick. I wanted my mother, and I wanted Adams County. And I said, John, we got to go back. And mother found this little house that Hutch, the car dealer, um, was selling on West High Street. And she bought it sight unseen because my best friend was a realtor here. And we converted that into an office, and we lived upstairs. But then when the children started coming, it was time to move out. But um, So I did spend time in private practice. But what happened is I started taking a lot of court appointments. And if the public defender's office is not able to handle a case because they have a conflict of interest, like, for instance, we never handle co-defendants, never, um, then one of those defendants needs to be conflicted out, either to um, – we, we had a firm in Gettysburg, Entwistle and Roberts, that signed a contract with us every year to handle our conflicts. But if they're not able to take it, then they go to a conflict attorney. So I was taking all these conflict cases of indigent people. And they just had so many problems. I mean, everybody was addicted. Everybody was mentally ill. And for me to be able to work their problems without worrying about whether they're paying me um, without worrying whether I can get the money to get um, drug and alcohol treatment for them or a psychologist for them, I found it so much more gratifying than doing billable hours. So did that facilitate your decision to go into the, uh, to the public defender's office? Completely. I mean, I just I, these were the people I wanted to represent. Well... How did, well, I should ask, did your private practice assist you in your work in the public defender's office? Are there any correlations? Well, to the extent that I came into the public defender's office already an experienced attorney. And my husband, John Wolf, is incredibly... Um, self-disciplined and organized and he was a great teacher for me because a lot of people go into the public defender's office just right out of law school and there's a lot they need to learn and I had already done jury trials by the time I went to the public defender's office so yes definitely okay and you mentioned um that you'd have uh, Monday, you go into the office Monday morning and you you see uh, this list of, of possible clients and how who makes that decision? The public defender. So I have a running um, tab essentially of how many cases I've assigned to each attorney, but I take into consideration when I read the application and when I read the affidavit of probable cause, who would be the best attorney. So I generally gave myself the most serious cases and the cases for the people who were mentally ill because it's just sort of a niche that I had developed. And then if it's 
someone that I know is going to be a very difficult client, I gave it to one off one attorney because he was so good with difficult people. And if I saw that it was someone who was nurturing, I have another attorney who went to seminary to be a priest, and then he decided he wasn't going to be a priest. He was going to be a public service attorney. And so I give him everyone who needs special kindness, and he also (laughs) handles our juvenile cases, and he's wonderful. So, you know, I take into account the circumstances of the case and of the defendant and and how many cases somebody has oh, okay and d- divide them okay according to that great um you've spent 20 years mm-hmm. in that office 21 in total tw- tw- yeah. oh 21 okay yeah uh, could you share with us um, some of the highlights of of those 20 years in that office okay i have a great um, anecdote um I represented a man probably in 2003, and it was a very serious crime. He stabbed his baby three times, and it was a situation where he was mad at the mother, and it actually happened at the middle school, outside the middle school. So he was charged with attempted murder, and it went to jury trial because our defense was that he was running with the child, he fell with the child, and that's how the injuries happened. So it went to a jury trial, and the jury found him guilty of attempted murder. Anyway, a year later, six months later maybe, the jury foreman saw me at uptown on the square. And he said, how is this man, Willie? I, I don't mind calling him Willie or naming him because this is a story that I'm probably going to write for the Gettysburg Connection with his permission. But uh, so the foreman came up to me. His name was uh, Reverend Bill McCloskey. And he said, how's, how's Willie Emerson doing? And I said, well, he doesn't have a friend in the world. You know, he has no one. So this pastor McCluskey asked if he could write with him, write to him. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sure you would love that. So at any rate, the two of them <clears throat> developed a correspondence and then Bill would go to visit him. Willie was sentenced to 20 years minimum in state prison. And once a month for 20 years, Bill McCluskey drove five hours round trip to his state prison to meet with him. And he just got paroled this year. And Bill McCluskey went and picked him up and provided him with a car and helped him find a job. And the whole time, he had voted to convict this man. He, he knew that he had attempted to kill his baby. And yet, he was able to love him 
and offer him redemption. So I would say that that's probably one of the most heartwarming stories of, of my career. On the other hand, I have been in the absolute depths. I have a client um, who is on death row at SCI Greenberg. And he was 27 when the crime occurred. He, he shot and killed a wildlife conservation officer. And when I had to stand with him at 1030 at night in front of Judge George and hear him say, and you will be taken to the State Correctional Institute at Rockville, where they will inject poison into your veins until you're dead. They'll do what? Yeah. That was the means of execution was lethal injection. So I remember going home that night at 11 o'clock, going into my mother's bedroom. She was laying there watching TV, waiting for me, and just like an absolute breakdown. I just... It took me a while to sort of resurface after that. Indeed, indeed, yeah. Um, That's a those are powerful stories, powerful stories. Um, When you reflect on those twenty years and stories like that, what gave you hope um, in this system? Well, I've definitely seen a move towards restorative justice, Um, not as fast as I would have liked, Um, but it used to be earlier in my career when people would have um, a relapse or would have a crime that was really generated by substance abuse. I think the court and probation, the people who supervise these people, would look at that as a moral failure. And I think that we have really moved to a disease um, concept of addiction. So these days, whereas someone who relapsed would just be pow, you know, you're in jail for six months, Nowadays, almost everybody seems to get a shot at inpatient treatment at the expense of the county. Okay. So that's been a huge improvement. Where, where we're most lacking is in resources for mental health. Um, I don't know that that's a court problem as much as it's an Adams County problem that and, and a national well, problem. I was about to say, yeah. more than this, this county, right. that it's go- that, that's a concern throughout the nation now. Right. As a matter of fact, in, um, it would not surprise me if Adams County Prison is our biggest health care or mental health care provider in Adams County. And I know that in California, for instance, um, the prison system is absolutely the biggest deliverer of health care services. And it's probably true in many states. Right, indeed. Uh, what advice would you give to law students uh, who are preparing uh, to practice law um, about going into the public defender's office uh, to consider that as an option for them? Mm-hmm. 
What advice might you Well, it's really funny because my sister, Gudrun Rice, was a prosecutor. And she found that really fulfilling. And she is the kindest, most loving person I know. So I'm not going to say that you have to be a public defender rather than a prosecutor, but either office gives you really good on the ground, in the courtroom, in the trenches training. And I had one assistant leave me for a six-figure job 10 years ago, and they picked her because she had been a public defender, and they knew that she could think on her feet. Oh, great. I can't believe how fast the time has gone. Yeah. <laughs> I can't wait to get to these questions. Right. Uh, I, want to wish, I want to thank you for being our guest today, and I want to thank, give you, well, I, I want to wish you the best as you make this transition uh, from from the public defender's office. And you certainly, we certainly thank you for your important contribution to this community, and um, and which has a ripple effect throughout throughout our nation. Well, thank you very much. Uh, my guest today has been Kristen Rice, the most recent chief public defender of Adams County. For the Seminary Explorers, this is Nelson Strobert. Have a good day. You have been listening to The Seminary Explorers, a production of United Lutheran Seminary with campuses in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We invite you to visit our website at unitedlutheranseminary.edu. All opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of United Lutheran Seminary or the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America.